What comes to mind when you hear the words medical trial? Because for me, it conjures up a lot of pulp science stories, science experiments gone wrong, broke students exposed to periods of no sleep, weird pills, odd side effects. So after recently having moved back to Melbourne, started back full-time at my job, catching up with friends, going out, enjoying life in non-lockdown Melbourne, I was not expecting to be taking part in a medical trial myself. But what follows over the next six episodes is going to be an unraveling of what it's like to take part in a medical trial, how this particular one involves urban planning, road usage, climate change, personal health, and probably a bunch of other things that, as I record this, I don't know yet. So join me on this six-week journey into being part of a medical trial. Hey, keen to try an e-bike? Our researchers are studying the effects of e-bikes on cardiometabolic health and physical activity. Those who complete the trial will receive a $50 gift card. We're looking for people who are 30 to 65 years old, overweight, can ride a bike, and are currently inactive. I saw that retweeted by Fiona Armstrong, founder of the Climate and Health Alliance, an NGO all about health and climate change, on the 10th of March, 2022. And just a week later, I was wearing a breathing mask, writing my guts out, hooked up to a heart rate monitor, doing a maximal effort test, taking part in my first ever medical trial. The chicken heart that ate up New York City. Go, But I might be getting out over my skis here, because when I tell you what it is I'm taking part in, you might not think that counts as a clinical trial. So what's the difference between a clinical trial and a clinical study? Well, apparently, according to good clinical practice, which is the ICHE6 guidelines, the terms clinical trial and clinical study can be used synonymously or interchangeably. Any investigation in human subjects intended to discover or verify the clinical, pharmacological, and or other pharmacodynamic benefits, and or to identify any adverse reactions to an investigational product, and or to study absorption, distribution, metabolism, and excretion of an investigational product with the object of ascertaining its safety and or efficacy. There will be no test on that. Others distinguish between clinical studies and clinical trials, so the U.S. National Institutes of Health, for example, describe two kinds of clinical study. A clinical study involves research using human volunteers, also called participants, that is intended to add to medical knowledge. There are two main types of clinical studies, clinical trials, also called interventional studies, and observational studies. So to loop back around, I'm not being experimented on, I'm not being given a product or a pill, I'm not under observation for the next six weeks. I've simply had an intervention put into my life, something different, and I was measured at the start of the trial and I'll be measured at the end. And I'll get into what I was given and how I was measured and tested and a lot of interesting things I discovered in the course of doing that process. 
so I can't really hide the lead on this much more. You all know what's coming, what the intervention was. I said it right at the start of this when I read out the tweet that I responded to. Keen to try an e-bike. And yeah, yeah, I was. So the intervention that's being put into my life for the next six weeks is use of an e-bike to get to work, to replace a passive commute on the tram, the train, or by a car. And also to replace other car trips for doing groceries, doing errands, and for recreation or just exercise. But this trial is aimed at those who aren't getting enough exercise, like I was not. So I fit the criteria of this project pretty perfectly, and I'll now tell you a little bit more about the trial by quoting from the plain language summary, which is a great resource that seems to be part of most of these trials that explains what's going on in language that a layperson like me can understand. Just a quick note that through the course of this, I won't be referring to the institution or the PhD student by name. They'll be going by J. Okay, so the project title is The Effects of Electric E-Bikes on Cardiometabolic Health. And, quote, You are invited to take part in a study looking at the effects of electric bikes on health outcomes, such as your blood sugar levels, cholesterol levels, and fitness. You will be provided with an e-bike, free of charge for the duration of the study. You will be asked to use the e-bike for commuting to work and for short trips. We ask you to use the bike in at least three days of the week. We will look at the effects the bike use has on your fitness level, your blood sugar levels, cholesterol levels, inflammatory and metabolic markers, blood pressure, muscle mass, and body fat percentage. We will check these measurements before and after you use the e-bike for six weeks. And there it is. Go from not biking and not getting a lot of exercise to using the bike at least three days a week, getting some exercise, and seeing the before and after. That sounded really good to me. So, and I went to the university for that first test. And this is where I learned a few things that I think you'll find interesting. The first and most inconsequential of these is if you're going on a university campus in 2022 and walking up to a pedestrian crossing, look out for P-platers because they might be on their phones, they might not be looking at the road, much less you, and not even notice there's a pedestrian crossing, which happened to me and a convoy of P-plate cars about five long that proceeded to miss me, and I'm not that easy to miss. So look out if you're crossing the street next time you're at a university campus. Second of which, full body scans are really cool. Just like how in Star Trek or other sci-fi shows you get this scanner that can create a 3D model in seconds. Well, the process in real life takes about 12 minutes, and it goes from the top of your head to the tip of your toes, and it takes slices of your body by shooting you with x-rays and a small amount of radiation, but I'm told no more than you get from an international flight or about two weeks of background radiation levels. And this full body scanner will show you your entire body in a scan. Proof, I have bones. I've seen them. Apparently they're quite good. I was always told I had a thick head. Apparently I've got thick head and thick, strong bones. So that's good. It was good to see that proof that I do indeed have bones. The technician who was running the body scanner that day, let's call them Lou. Lou works in this room with this microwave-emitting, radiation-using machine 
every day and has been doing a lot of scans recently. So I asked Lou if they were comfortable being in a room with a radiation-admitting device for long periods. And they said, yeah, and went on to explain why. I threw out a quote from my favorite HBO miniseries about nuclear disasters, Chernobyl, about how radiation is an invisible bullet and how you cannot know the damage that's been done to you until it's too late. And Lou said, they wear a radiation tag at work. And this little tag is just like a card at the end of a lanyard and periodically gets taken away to be tested, basically to check for if any of those invisible bullets of radiation have pierced that tag and thus gone into them. And over months of working in this room with this machine, that tag has remained unscathed, no bullet holes, invisible or otherwise. So I thought that was really cool. You're working with radiation, you have a sense that it is safe, but you've got that very tangible proof as well. And that was my first time hearing about a radiation tag. And last but not least, especially not for me, I want to tell you about the maximal exertion test. So it's 2022, and I got to do this test using modern equipment. I had a heart rate monitor, the kind of brand you can easily buy from your favorite sporting goods store. I had a Garmin brand heart rate monitor strapped to my chest, wireless, which is very handy. I was wearing a mask that was either your traditional uh, Darth Vader cosplay <laughs> slash oxygen measuring mask, which didn't feed me oxygen from a tank, but instead had a small fan on the front that was measuring not only the velocity or how much I was breathing in, but the composition of that oxygen, but more usefully the composition of my exhalation, how much oxygen I was exhaling, along with how much CO2 and other gases. So Jay and Lou were able to look at the screen and see how much oxygen I was intaking, how much I was outputting, how much my body was working. They were able to see that instantly. The air I was exhaling didn't have to be captured and tested in order to get that information. Which brings me back to it being 2022. That hasn't always been the case. There's an historical method of doing this using something called a Douglas bag. And to quote from the Journal of Physiology, 1916, in an article called The Respiratory Exchange of Animals and Man, quote, Regnard collected the expired air in a rubber bag from which it was afterwards delivered and measured through a meter, but his bags were probably not tight against diffusion, and his technique very faulty. This principle, however, is excellent for certain types of experiments, and it has recently been revived by Douglas, who has worked out a method which is specially adapted for the study of the respiratory exchange during open-air exercise, in circumstances where all other instruments would fail. End quote. In the show notes to this, there will be a link with photos of what this Douglas bag initially looked like. It is a external bladder. It is a bag in which you breathe into through a mouthpiece. And then this air which goes into a bag is then collected and tested and the whole thing is, unsurprisingly, a lot less convenient than just having the results immediately appear on the screen when you breathe in, when you breathe out. It's amazing where this has gotten to in just the last decade. Um, both Jay and Lou were telling me that in the course of their studies, they've had to learn how to use Douglas bags. And at 50 or 100 liters, it's amazing how quickly your breath will fill one of these bags. 
And this type of testing I was doing of maximal exertion, it's measuring only really the last 10 seconds of while you're exerting right at the end before you can give no more, before your muscles go fully into an anaerobic state, that which doesn't have air when your muscles are oxygen-deprived and you've given all you can give, that's the last 10 seconds worth of data that they want to collect. And so if someone has already filled a bag, but they can go a little bit further than you think they can, there's a mad scramble to quickly let the air out of a bag so you can get the last 10 seconds worth of exhalation while someone is working their guts out on the stationary bike. It's a bit like you're on a boat and the boat is leaking and you're using a bucket to bail out the water. You need to make sure the bucket is empty before you go in to scoop up some more and you're desperately trying to empty a bag of air that someone just breathed out in order to catch the next few seconds of their exhalation. Something I can honestly say before this experience I'd never thought about. How would you capture the air that someone is breathing out during exercise? There's a way, but I'm also happy to say we've gone past it now with modern technology. So, there is no bags of my breath collected in the course of this trial. Coming up in the next five episodes of this miniseries, there will be stories of commuting on the e-bike, of the experiences from the Melbourne streets as a cycle commuter, of the solidarity and camaraderie, or maybe not, that I find within the cycling community of Melbourne. There will be a collection of first-hand experiences, mine and others, on this e-bike, what it all means to have active emissions-free transport in the face of the climate crisis, and at least thoughts, but maybe even interviews, about urban planning and road usage in the city, and what we can do practically to encourage more people onto bikes, how I feel confidence-wise as a cycling commuter in 2022, and what the near future might hold for Melbourne and other cities with cycling, active transport, and petrol-free commuting. Stay tuned. I hope you've enjoyed this. If you did, please share it with a friend. I'd love to get it out there in the cycling and climate community. You can reach me at hearmediastudios at gmail.com. This is also going to be released on Climactic. You can reach us at hello at climactic.fm. I've been Mark Spencer. Thank you again for joining me. Have a great day.